0: Isaiah chapter number six tonight there at home. Please, Isaiah chapter number six. It's been good to be in the building, and I know it's been good to be wherever you are tonight watching as well, and I appreciate that song. No more night, no more pain, no more COVID. Hello, no more taxes, no more politicians, no more alarm clocks. Anyway, it's been good to be in church today. I'm asking God to meet with us tonight, and have been praying much about the the, the, the day about the message this morning, and then more even so, probably about the message tonight. I don't think it'll be the greatest message maybe I've ever preached, but I believe it's a message I, I want God to get in and use for this hour. No doubt about that. Isaiah chapter six, a very familiar text in the Bible, and uh, we're going to read verse one down through verse number eight tonight. Whenever Pastor mentioned that we were going to do this day today, after. We left the platform. I went over there and sat in the side bleachers next to my, uh, my twin brother, Brother Martinez. He and I sat over there. And uh, while Pastor was going through his opening comments, I took out my phone and I typed a note to myself. And it's still on my phone now. I wrote it down on my piece of paper so I could read it to you. But I wrote down this note. I just uh, asked God. I said, God, would you please just give me one for the evening service? Just Give me one. Not one preacher necessarily, one missionary, though I would love that, but one Christian that would just re-enlist or maybe sign up to surrender and serve God. Great churches aren't built by great preachers. It's impossible. One man cannot do it. Great churches aren't even built by great people. But great churches are built by an average, normal, usual, common preacher, a bunch of average, normal, usual, common, flawed, imperfect people who have all surrendered themselves to serve a great God. And tonight, that's why we have bus routes, because somebody surrendered. That's why we have Sunday school. Somebody had to surrender. That's why we hear the instruments playing, and we enjoy the choir, and that's why there's been a preacher for all these years. Somebody said, all to Jesus I surrender, all to Him I freely give. And I'm praying for something along those lines tonight. I'm not asking to go to China or Africa, though God might do that. But I'm just asking if you would volunteer for Jesus tonight. Isaiah chapter 6, verse number 1. The Bible said, "...in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims, each one had six wings, with twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly." the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thine is taken away, and thy sin purged. Also I heard the voice of the Lord, saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me the Lord was not speaking directly to Isaiah he was just speaking who's going to go who's going to serve who's going to enlist it was a voluntary thing Isaiah says not somebody else God don't use somebody other than me I want to do it here am I send me Great churches aren't built by great people. They're not even built by great preachers. They're built by normal, average, everyday, born again people that surrender themselves, hear my, send me, and decide to serve a great God. For a little while this evening, I want to preach on this slot, and I believe it's a need not just in our church, every church in America, around the world, and for our generation. If Isaiah were to come back tonight, I wonder what he'd preach. I think maybe his title would be this. Here am I, but where are you? Here am I, but where are you? Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you'd please speak to our hearts tonight. I pray that you'd move. Lord, there's a lot of people watching from home. There are just a few here in the building. I pray you to rest our attention, grip our hearts, hold our minds, help us to listen, to tune in. It's not a TV show. It's not a movie. It's church. I pray you to speak to us. I pray for the young men that are watching. There might be a young man or two. Your will for their life is to preach. I pray tonight that they would say it at home, and then they'd let us know, here am I, send me. Might be a young person. Your will for them is to be a missionary. I pray they'd say, here am I, send me. Maybe there's an adult. You want to upset the apple cart of their life and put them in a a better place in your perfect will. Maybe they could teach a class, run a bus route, sing in the choir. I pray tonight they would say, here am I, send me. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I don't know if you've ever heard the hymn or not. I don't know if we've sung it here since I've been here. We probably have and I don't remember, but I hear around the country. The hymn title is called A Volunteer for Jesus. Have you ever heard that? It says, A volunteer for Jesus, a soldier true. Others have enlisted, but then asked the question, Why not you? That word volunteer means a person who willingly offers themselves for some service or some undertaking a volunteer throughout history there have been statements that have lived on long after the person who made the statement passed away these statements stand out and they stand tall like mountains rising into the sky they've been carved in stone etched upon monuments recited in speeches and immortalized in literature statements like these that we're talking about have enlisted soldiers they've stirred nations they've sparked revolutions and encouraged great feats to be undertaken. I think about statements like Patrick Henry's statement when he said, give me liberty or give me death. I think about the statement that FDR made when he said, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. I think about the statement the angel made on that first Easter morning when the women rushed to the tomb and found it empty and he declared he is not here for he has risen just as he said. Those and many statements like those are powerful and they survive the passing of time. They live on. Tonight, I want us to consider one of the most powerful statements ever made. This statement is lived on. If ever a statement was needed to be repeated in a generation, God knows we need this statement to be declared with sincerity by countless Christians in our generation. This statement was not made by a head of state. This statement wasn't made by a great general. This statement wasn't made by somebody who was even popular in his own day. But this statement, one of the most powerful and life changing statements ever made, was made by a common man that God used in a powerful way. It's a statement of vision, it's a statement of burden. It's a statement of surrender. It's a statement of selflessness. It's a statement that altered history and I'll dare say has altered eternity. This statement is only five words long. Here it is, here am I, send me. But it's probably one of the most powerful statements ever to fall from the lips of a man. Here am I, send me. How many lives have been touched through the years because of that statement? Here am I, send me. How many souls have been won through the years because of that statement? Here am I, send me. How a nation would be changed, and even today nations are still being impacted because of that statement. Here am I, send me. How many homes have been helped? How many souls have been stirred? How many hearts have been challenged? Here am I, send me. How many soldiers for Jesus have been recruited because one man made that one statement, here am I, send me. What a powerful statement it is. The prophet Isaiah's history is sort of obscure. There's not much background information given about him in the Bible. But though his background is veiled in obscurity, his life and ministry made a huge impact for the glory of God. Isaiah's nation needed to hear the word of God. And Isaiah was God's mouthpiece to declare it in his generation. Now our text opens with a date. This date is not given in days, but rather it's described by an event that would shake a nation. The chapter unfolds in the year that Uzziah, the king of Israel, died. Uzziah was not a perfect man. He was a flawed man, just like all of us are. But he was a good king. Like all men, he fell short. But he was a man who sought God early in his life, and because of Uzziah, God greatly blessed the nation. Now, as we read our text, we step into the midst of a very trying day and a very difficult hour. Uzziah is dead. Assyria is threatening. It looked as though soon Israel would be taken captive. Soon prosperity would cease, a depression would come, famine would overtake the nation. These were days of mourning, these were days of loss, these were days of uncertainty. King Uzziah is dead. But I'm glad to report to you tonight out of these days of mourning and out of these days of loss and out of these days of uncertainty, out of these days when the king is dead, Isaiah is going to hear the voice of the Lord. He makes the right decision. He goes to the temple. And can I say every good thing that happens in the life of a child of God usually happens through the house of God and hearing the preaching of the word of God. That's why it's so essential that we have church in days like this. Like these Isaiah goes to the temple and in the temple he has a vision that's going to change his life from that point forward he's not the same man his preaching is going to be different his vision is going to be different his heart is going to be different his life is going to be different that day in the temple he's renewed he's revived and re-enlisted for the work of God in those trying days Isaiah gets something from heaven in those days of loss, Isaiah gains with God. In those days of uncertainty, he gets a word from the Lord that settles his heart on the will of God for his life. He passes through that period of life, and he's never the same again from that moment until he saw God face to face in glory. Isaiah is a changed man. Let me ask you tonight, have you ever had an encounter with God like that? I'm talking about a hit on collision with God like that. That didn't just leave you different for a day. It didn't just leave you changed for a night. It didn't just upset your life for a moment, but you've never been the same. I'm convinced in our generation, that's the kind of meeting we need to have with God. One that changes us, not just for a meeting, not just for a moment, but changes our life from that moment on. Like Moses and the burning bush, like Jacob and Peniel, like Joshua and Jericho, like the Hebrews in the furnace, like Peter on the seashore, like Paul on the road to Damascus. Have you ever had that kind of an encounter with God? It's out of that kind of an encounter that Isaiah makes this kind of a declaration. A convicting question is asked by the Lord in verse number eight. The Lord is looking for a servant. He's looking for a willing vessel. He's looking for someone to surrender and do the will of God. Let's look at the question. Also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Now, can you imagine? getting to see what Isaiah saw, and we'll talk about that in a minute, but then getting to hear what Isaiah heard, Isaiah gets to hear the very voice of the Lord, that same voice that cried out for Moses, and that same voice that called Abraham, and that same voice that awakened Samuel, and that same voice that spoke to Elijah, that same voice that spoke the world into existence calls out to the heart of Isaiah. It's interesting if you read your Bible, There's no account given before this where Isaiah hears the voice of the Lord. This might be the first time he heard God's voice in that fashion, but one thing's for sure, he hears it now, and he has this eye-opening moment in his life, this eye-opening experience, and it changes him. He hears the voice of God. By the way, I know God speaks, but what ought to bother you and I is if we don't ever hear his voice. It would be bothersome if God never spoke. That would worry me. But what worries me more is that God does speak and so many Christians never hear his voice. Isaiah heard the voice of God and he's so stirred within his soul by what he saw and what he heard, he responds with a revolutionary remark and he says, here am I, send me. He heard the call of God and he signed up. God took the role and he answered reporting for duty. Don't send somebody else. Don't let somebody else get it done. God, I'll go, I'll serve, I'll work, I'll labor. Here am I, send me. Isaiah answered that call for his generation. He responded to the request and said, here am I, send me. He did not skirt his opportunity. He didn't run from his calling. He didn't neglect his moment. He didn't deny his duty. He didn't refuse his purpose. He responded and surrendered to the call of God. Imagine tonight if that old soldier of God could come to earth from heaven and address our generation of Christians. He hadn't had any earthly success. In our terminology, he would have had negative one or zero Twitter followers. That's success, right? He wasn't a real popular preacher. He battled and fought and stood alone. His convert list was short if it even existed. His fan club was small, but he served God. When he said, send me, he was signing up to be mocked, scorned, neglected, and heartbroken. He'd have a hard task to a hard people, and he'd see very little result. But in a troubled day, he signed up to serve. In those morning days, He went all in for God. In those uncertain days, he resolved to do all he could do for the Lord. Now imagine with me if that old worn and weathered soldier could come here now with his glorified body and stand behind our pulpit and he could take that old raspy preacher's voice and he could take an electronic microphone to amplify that voice and he could address our generation of Christians. I wonder what he might say. I'm convinced that if Isaiah could get a pass from heaven to come to earth that he would take the pulpit. He'd size up modern Christianity. he looked at the devastating need that our nation has for old time religion and our world has for the gospel. And Isaiah would open his mouth and say, with tears running down his cheek today, I want to preach on this thought. God, here am I. Oh church, but where are you? God, here am I. But where are they? God, here am I. But where are those Christians in this generation? That'll sign up to serve God. He'd say, I went. Why haven't you gone? I served. Why aren't you serving? Here am I. But where are you? There are buses that need a driver. Where are you? There are doors that need a knock. Where are you? There are pews that aren't filled. Where are you? There are classes that need taught. Where are you? There are souls going to hell. Where are you? There are people that need encouraged. Where are you? Your city needs prayer. Where are you? Your nation needs awakened. Where are you? Your church needs revival. Where are you? Your family needs to be reared in the Bible. Where are you? The pulpits of America are getting vacant. Where are you? There are empty mission fields. Where are you? There are unreached people. Where are you? There are elderly people that need encouraged. Where are you? There are incarcerated people that need ministered to. Where are you? The next generation needs a voice. Where are you? The instruments have to be. Played, the finances met. Somebody. Where are you? I, if Isaiah could have this surface, and this microphone, I don't doubt his heart would break, over the condition of Christianity and the lack of surrender we see among Christians in our generation. Rome burned while Nero fiddled. And our generation goes to hell while the average Christian yawns and checks their social media. I think many Christians have never answered the call of God because they haven't seen the great need and they haven't realized that we have a great God and they don't see how close we are to the rapture. Isaiah, what's your sermon title? Here it is, here am I. But where are you? Have we not counted the cost? One of these days we'll stand at the judgment seat of Christ. And I don't want to stand before the Lord having not done what I could do at least. I don't want to stand before him. Have I wondered, have I done my best for Jesus? But today we can see, I wonder, have I done anything for Jesus? I'm convinced the same Lord who asked whom shall I send is still wanting to send his people out today. The God who asked who shall go for us is looking for someone who'll go for him today. Is there not a William Carey in our generation that'll go to India? Is there not an Aaron Arm Judson in our generation that'll go to Burma? Is there not an Edward Kimball in our generation to teach a Sunday school class? Is there not a Wally Beebe in our generation to work in the bus ministry? Is there not a Homer heaver in our generation to sing for the glory of of God. In 1956, a young man took a church at a crossroads in the middle of nowhere in North Carolina. I've been inside that little block building they built out of a tent revival. In 1956, he left a good job and had to get rid of his new car. And Bobby Robertson went and took that Gospel Light Baptist Church, but he said, Who, who's going to go? He said, I'll go. Send me. I think about 1942, Lee Robertson took his young wife to Chattanooga, Tennessee, and he told her, don't unpack your bags. We probably won't be here but six months. He he missed it by 40 years here's what he said here am i send me i think about 1961 a mail carrier sat in the back of a big auditorium like this in atlanta georgia and a couple of preachers were preaching he had a church of about eight people about to quit and they preached on soul winning and he got a burden for god and for souls and went back and said here am i send me and curtis hudson built the fastest growing church in the state of georgia why because they signed up you can't tell me there's not some of those kind of people in our generation if they just answer the call. I'm glad for a Ken Jen who said here am I, send me. Work a bus route. I'm glad for a Sam Finner who said here am I, send me and serve as an usher. I'm glad for Brother Van Dyke, I mean serve as a deacon. I thank God for Bill Shilton who just piddles, but anyway, I thank God for Brother Shilton. I thank God for that. I think about Mrs. Car- Ms. Carr and other. I mean, thank God for those who serve, but where are they in my age bracket? Where are you in the younger generation? We need someone to sign up to serve God. Here am I. Send me. Here am I, Isaiah said. I wonder how many souls have not been saved because we have not said, send me. How many homes are broken tonight because we have not said, send me. How many hearts are not stirred for God tonight because we have not said, send me. How How has our nation suffered tonight? Because we have not said, send me. How many soldiers have yet to enlist? Because we've not said, send me. Oswald Chambers said God did not direct his call to Isaiah. Isaiah just overheard God saying, who will go for us? The call of God is not just for a select few, but for everyone. I'll say it like this. If you're breathing air tonight, and you're born again, God is interested in using your life. And what I'm asking tonight is, would you just consider enlisting to serve the Lord? I'm talking to some of you teenage young men, you teenage young ladies, you 20 something year old young people, you young couples, middle aged couples, elderly couples, you say, have breath in your body. I mean, enough energy to get up out of your chair. Can I say, God wants to use your life tonight. You say, but I want success. That is success. The bullseye of life is seeking God and finding his will and doing it with all your might. Here am I, but where are you? Here. What creates a willingness to say, here am I? Number one, a death is needed. Look at your Bible. We'll look at a few verses. Verse number one, verse eight, or verse number one, the first part of the verse. In the year that King Uzziah, now watch this, died. What motivated Isaiah? to give his all to God, to get all in for God, to serve God in a bad day, a dark hour, yet he surrendered and signed up. I think a death was needed to get him to make the statement. God will never fill you with himself until he's emptied you of yourself first. Now listen, Uzziah was a good king. I understand he finished wrong, but most of his reign was good. He sought God as a 16-year-old young man. The hand of God was on the nation. God blessed him in a great way because Uzziah sought the Lord. I mean, he helped him militarily, economically, spiritually. Everything was going good under Uzziah. So why did God have Uzziah die? Here's why I think that good thing kept uh, Isaiah from seeing God. That king, maybe that was his security blanket. Maybe he got a little comfortable. Maybe he felt a little bit self-assured as long as Uzziah was on the throne. But I know this, as long as Uzziah was alive, Isaiah didn't see God the way he saw God when Uzziah was dead. I think I can say it like this: God turned the circumstance upside down on Isaiah, so that Isaiah would see God. We keep saying it, and it's proven to be true. Sadly enough, there'll be casualties because of COVID, not physical though that, ha- but spiritual in our church. But don't you think maybe God did not mean for this to cause casualties? Maybe God meant for this to call recruits. Did you ever stop to think the reason you're going through what you're going through and feeling what you're feeling and facing what you're facing is so that you might quit looking at your pocketbook or looking at your health or looking at your job or looking at your fun or looking at your hobby and that you might seek God for who he is? Can I say the hardest enemy you and I have to battle is the enemy of self. That song, take my life and make it thine. It shall be no longer mine. That's the key to success in the Christian life except the corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone, but if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. Uzziah died, but he had to die so Isaiah could see God. Can I say, whatever it is, not even a bad thing, maybe it's a good thing, but maybe God has put us through this to strip away the good thing so we can see God on his throne, and maybe we'd say, here am I, send me. Lay aside every weight, the Bible says, God upset Isaiah's circumstances. I was preaching with a man named Don Green from Lansing, Michigan. Dr. Green is still alive. He went to Bible college at J. Frank Norris's Bible college. And I was talking to him as a very young preacher up there in Lansing, Michigan. And he asked me this question. He didn't ask me where I went to Bible college. He didn't ask me anything like that. He asked me this. Tell me, he said, when you made your consecration to God. Tell me when you made your consecration to God. What's he saying? He's saying, when was the moment you said, All to Jesus, I surrender? All to him I freely give. Lister Roloff said, Every morning I get out of the bed and stick the first foot into the grave and die to self. Lee Robertson wrote in the front of his Bible, whatever the year was, 1947, maybe he said, Lee Robertson is dead. George Mueller was asked the question, How are you so successful? And he said, There was a day that I died to George Mueller. I don't want anybody in our church, especially, to suffer financial loss, but what if that's what it takes for us to see God? Nobody, we would want nobody to lay in a hospital bed, but what if that's what it takes for us to really see God? What if I have to lose my pride? Would I have to lose uh, my preconceived notion? Would I have to lose my dreams and my desires and my wants and my plans and my 401k and my schedule so that I might see God? I tell you, if you're going to say, Here am I, send me, something might have to die. Number two, not only is a death needed, but discernment is needed. Look what it says in the first, second part of, of verse number one. The Bible said, In the year that King Uzziah died, but watch this I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne. High and lift it up. And his train filled the temple. Verse 2. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face. And with twain he covered his feet. And with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, watch this. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is fill, full of his glory. I'm talking tonight about this. I want somebody, even if it's only one, to say, Lord, here am I. Send me. If Isaiah were here, he'd say, here am I. But where are you? What's it take Take to make the statement number one something might have to die in your life you might have to say goodbye to the job goodbye to the house goodbye to whatever it is so that you might get a glimpse of God but number two you've got to discern that God is who God is you've got to see him for who he is get a glimpse of his glory look full in his wonderful face and you see God for who he is it's hard not to sign up to serve a God like that you study it out in verse number one the Bible said the King died little K, but I like it in verse number five. It talks about another king, capital K. Yes, Israel's king died, but their God didn't die. A king died, but the king didn't die. Uzziah was in a coffin, but God was still on his throne. That word king, small king, he's dead, but the big king is where he ever was. And Isaiah gets a glimpse of the big K king. He sees God on his throne. He sees the seraphims, those burning ones, flying around worshiping, and they're singing, holy 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 that's who he is all of a sudden the smoke filled the temple the posts of the doors shake everything's turned upside down when Isaiah gets a glimpse of God can I say that's the reason why so many Christians don't want to serve God they've not seen him for who he is but if you get a good glimpse of who our God is it's hard not to sign up I'm not asking you to sign up to serve a church or sign up to serve a man or sign up to serve a movement I'm saying would you sign up to serve God he's a holy God. In fact, He's a thrice holy God. Holy's who he is. Holy's who he was. Holy's who will ever be. Holy's all he can be. He's holy in thought and holy in deed. And holy in grace, and holy in mercy, and holy in love, and his habitation's holy, his persons holy, his heaven is holy, his throne is holy, his blood, his book. Everything about God is holy. No sin in him, no flaw in him, no iniquity in him, no shortcoming in him. You mean God, that God? wants me to serve him. That's right. Isaiah didn't see a head of state. Isaiah didn't see a powerful politician. Isaiah didn't see a big name preacher. He saw the king of kings upon his throne. I'm glad for the day when I saw him for who he was and I realized who God is and I realized he's the almighty God, an omnipotent God and all powerful God and all loving God, a grace giving God and he looked on me a sinner. I deserve to be in hell with my back broke, smoking like wet wood. And a white fire, Yet God came to where I was, saved me by his grace. And then he called me and he said, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Can I say that same God? He's trying to get a hold of your heart tonight. He wants to do something through our church tonight. He wants to use your life tonight. Somebody has to answer. See God for who he is. Here am I. Send me. Moses saw him. Abraham saw him. Joshua saw him. Paul saw him. Stephen saw him. Have you seen him? It's the Lord who's asking for you to go. Isaiah entered God's presence. I mentioned this to the pastor in the week. God's always in our presence. He's omnipresent. But there's a big difference in God being in your presence. And you really getting in His. God's always in my presence, but I don't always acknowledge that. Sometimes I ignore that. Sometimes I deny that by my actions but when I get in his presence I can't help but put my focus on him and all I can see is him and all I can think about is him And whenever all I can see and all I can think about is Him, can I say, it's not a pain to serve Him. It's a privilege and pleasure to serve the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Thank God. If He had never spoken this world into existence, He'd still been holy. If He had never died on the cross for my sins, He'd have still been holy. If He'd never given Ten Commandments, He'd have still been holy. That's just who He is. And to think that a holy God, thrice holy God, wants to use sinful men and women like us to do a little something for Him. Can I say, that's that's not a pain that's a privilege and a pleasure and tonight that God extends the invitation to you to sign up would you be enlisted as a volunteer for Jesus here am I where are you boy I think all this trivial silly carnal mess in most churches would be traded out for holy 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 if we could just get folks to see him for who he is man I want that for the young people I want that for my son. I want Lincoln, when he's old enough to realize what's going on, I want him to see God for who he is. I hope he doesn't ever have to experience what I did before I got saved. I hope he's raised in a good church. Thank God for that. But I hope he doesn't miss the realness of who God is. And I hope he gets to experience what it is to get in his presence. And I hope he feels his hand. I hope he wants to seek his face. I want that for your kids. I want that for the Christian school kids. I want that for the bus kids. I want that for the parents. I want that for our church. I want to see the Lord for who He is. Number one, a death is needed. Number two, discernment is needed. Number three, we need to hurry. Discarding is needed. Discarding. Verse five and seven, read it with me if you want to there at home. The Bible says in verse number five through seven Then said I, Woe is me, for I'm undone, because I'm a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth, and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and that iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. In chapter five, Isaiah pronounces five woes against others. He pronounces a woe against greed. A woe against drunkenness, a woe against wickedness, a woe against worldliness, a woe against pride, a woe against partying, if you will. But now he sees the Lord. And it's no longer woe against everybody else. Now he says, woe is me. He doesn't say, woe to you greedy, woe to you drunkards. He says, woe to Isaiah. Isaiah's consciousness of God made Isaiah conscious of his own sin, his own unworthiness, his own uncleanness. No longer is it woe to sister so-and-so or woe to brother so-and-so, but when you see the Lord like you ought to, if you're going to say, here am I, send me, you're going to have to get rid of some things and say, woe is me. He's seen the Lord lift it up and it made him feel kind of low down. You know what's going to happen if you surrender to serve the Lord? I tell you where you have to get first. You have to get rid of all the pride, all the boasting, all the self-assurance in your life, all the self-sufficiency and understand We're nothing. B.R. Lakin used to say, I'm just an ought. That's a circle, a zero, an ought with a rim knocked off. What's he saying? He said, I'm a nobody. There's nothing about him, Isaiah, I'm saying, that you and I could look at and say, he's not right with God. But when he got in the presence of God, those small sins became so magnified, and he wanted to get clean. Revival is the people of God living in the power of an ungrieved and unquenched Holy Spirit. True revival means nothing less than this. A revolution, I read, casting out the spirit of worldliness, making God's love triumph in the heart. If Isaiah could come preach to us tonight, I think he'd say this. Here am I. Where of you? Where are you? And If you're going to say, I'll enlist, you have to discard self and sin to surrender. Number four, and we'll be through. Our time is gone. Decision is needed. It all comes to the decision. Our verse, our text verse, verse 8 Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? But this changes history. This next line changes eternity. I don't even know where we'd be today if this man hadn't made this statement. Here's what he said, Here am I, send me. I want to ask you the question tonight. We need folks in every area, every vocation. But not as bad as we need every Christian to serve God. And it might be God's will for you to be a veterinarian and save the life of a skunk. I don't know. But possibly it could be God's will for you to serve him full time someplace. Maybe God wants you to make a lot of money so you can tithe off of it. I don't know. But it might be God's will for you to be a missionary on some foreign mission field. Here am I with all my flaws. Here am I with my little ability. Here am I with my weak faith. Here am I with my frail body. But Lord, if you take me I'll go. If you'll use me, I'll work. If you'll call me, I'll stand, I'll serve, I'll reach, and I'll teach, I'll preach, I'll love, I'll give, I'll praise you, I'll live, I'll surrender. Here am I. My hands are yours. Here am I, my feet are for you. Here am I, you can have my eyes and my ears. On Wednesday night, Pastor preached in that text, My son, give me thine heart was in that proverb and I preached on that before. Why, why did the father ask the son for his heart not his hands, his heart and not his feet, his heart and not his eyes, his heart and not his ears? Because he understood this. If he had his heart, he'd have the rest of it. And I wonder if you'd say, Lord, here, am I. my life is yours to control. I give you my heart and my soul. I'll seek your will, never mind, rich treasures to find. Somebody said, election is this. He said, I believe in election. I believe God voted for me, the devil voted against me, and I get to cast the deciding vote. Yeah. I believe the same thing is true about serving God. God's already voted for you to serve Him. The Devil's already voted for you not to. You have a free will to cast the deciding vote. I never dreamed that I would do what I'm doing right now. wasn't in my planner. I didn't map it out. But I wouldn't want to do anything else. And can I say God could do something through you if you just give your life to Him? that you couldn't even dream, you could never write it down, your wildest imagination can never wrap itself around the potential and the possibility. I'm so glad pastor, that you said one day, here am I, or God said here am I, you said send me I'm so glad that the preacher that preached when I got saved said here am I send me. I'm so glad the preacher that preached in another state when I started to preach a long time before he ever knew who I was said here am I send me. I'm glad that my wife's father, who gave me that pamphlet that I read, gave me the gospel. And I'm glad he said a long time ago before he knew who I'd be, here am I, send me. The There's an army of lost souls outside of this building. This city, the cities that neighbor us, that desperately need somebody to say, here am I, send me. Yeah. I'll read you this illustration and be through. Winston Churchill was trying to rally labor leaders to enlist their support during World War II. He gave a speech, and at the end of his speech, he asked them to picture in their minds a parade, which they would have after the war. First, he said, would come the sailors who had kept the vital sea lanes open. Then would come the soldiers who had come from Dunkirk and then gone on to defeat Rommel in Africa. Then would come the pilots who had driven the Luftwaffe from the sky. Last of all, he said, would come a long line of sweat-stained, soot-streaked men in miners' caps. Someone would cry from the crowd, "'Where were you during the critical days of the war?' And he said, from 10,000 throats would come the answer. We were deep in the earth with our faces to the coal. But can I say, had they not dug that coal, those ships wouldn't have sailed. Those planes wouldn't have flown. That battle wouldn't have been won. Those miners would not get medals on their lapel. They wouldn't have much recognition, but they helped win the war. Bus workers might not get the recognition, but they're helping us win the war. Sunday school teachers might not get the recognition but they help us win the war. Those who clean the church, you might not get the recognition, but you're helping us win the war. You who give, you might not get all the recognition, but you're helping us win the war. You who pass out tracts, you might not get the recognition that some of us get. And I I thought about this. I feel so, I've been here such a short amount of time and some of you have been here so long. You might not get the recognition, but listen, you're helping us win this war. And I tell you what we need is an army of folks who are content to serve in the shadows if it means we just win this battle. And they'll say, you know what, Lord? If you can use somebody like me, I hear your voice, you still speak. Hear my, send me. I'm gonna pray and we'll have an invitation. You're at home. I wonder if you'd gather around and really consider the call of God tonight. Some of you young men, God might be calling you to preach. Would you surrender to preach tonight? If that's the will of God for your life. And if you do that, tell somebody, please. Tell Brother Russ or somebody that you've done that. Some of you... Older men, you might be a father with a job, but God's calling you to a mission field or calling you, you better surrender. You ladies, God has a plan for your life. In our church, there are so many positions and posts to fill. Here am I, send me. Thank you for listening to the Audio Preaching Podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber.